Icebreaker, but I forget what it was about. So oh, oh it's well. Kalise and Bill Murray. Is her is it Kellis or Kalise? Kalise. I always yeah. say Kalise. All right. I hope I'm not uh, 20 years wrong at this point. <laughs> That's gonna be my my autobiography. 20 years wrong. The Pedregrella story. <laughs> I can't wait. 32 years wrong. I'm going to have to keep changing it the longer it, ta- the longer it takes me to complete the book. Still wrong. New year, same me, still wrong about everything. Oh no, back at it again. Mm. Wrong. A sequel. Still wrong, still strong. <laughs> Part three. Wronger and stronger than ever. <laughs> Live free or die wrong. It's just you like making muscles on a mountain. My face is the old man of the mountain where it used to be. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. Well, I guess we should say hello to the people. Hey guys, what's up squad? Hi. Hi. You here to hear a little bit about a little Law & Order SVU episode? I hope so, because that's what's going to happen. That's what we do here until until the stable goes. I know the episodes are st- going to start to get a lot better. And then we're going to be super into it. But then at some point, I think there's a drop in quality. So we're here for it. Remember they made that guy Stucky? Oh, fucking the, um, Stucky. CS- that was an insane plot line. I can't, I can't believe that of all the insane plot lines I was trying to think up, I was like, oh, that was wild. That was, an, I think I remember thinking, this is the jump the shark moment. What is going on? Like, why are we making Stucky a thing? We are not going to be able to hold it together when Stucky arrives. Because he doesn't do his thing right away. I think he's around for probably 10 episodes. They're kind of nasty to him, too. And I remember before that episode thinking they're, like, really egregiously rude to this guy. Like, I was like, ew, this is, like, bullying. But then Stucky tried to, like, kill and rape Olivia or something. And then doesn't he kill someone hot? Yeah, he kills Nick Stahl. (laughs) That might be the dumbest thing I've ever said. Then didn't he kill someone hot? So, guys, uh, this episode is, it's another tough one. It's akin to closure we both discussed. Yes. They're kind of teaching you things in this one, too. Like, they're kind of teaching you about, like, the, more of the victim's perspective and, like, some of the limitations around, like, I want to say cases like this because it's very specific, but and I didn't mean to giggle. It's just that they kind of throw us, for, they throw us, like, a very massive monkey wrench in mm-hmm. the middle, and we're like, oh, all right. But, yeah, oh, yeah, and um, I have a little bit of a cold, I think, so sorry for that. And also, yeah, there's not too many funny things in this, so no. we're going to do our best. Shall we get into it? Let's get into it. All right, so we're talking about Law & Order SVU, Season 1, Episode 20, Remorse. Original air date, Cinco de Mayo, directed by Alexander Cassini. Dun dun. Dun dun. Opening scene. Uh, this is in April, and I'm, only, I'm not going to be annoying. I'm only saying it because we hear another date other times, so this is happening in April. Reporter Sarah Logan stands on the street and states that she has been professionally investigating sexual assault stories for some time now, and she feels that it's time to share her own experience. Sarah recounts that on January 11th, she was shooting a segment that ran past midnight, and because she was only nine blocks away from her apartment, she decided to walk. Cut to, another woman is in a hotel room watching this broadcast. So she's like lounging on the bed, in her underwear, smoking. She looks awesome. It's like if Chloe Savini and Edie Falco had a child together. Yes, she's very angular. On the TV, Sarah says that as she weighed her way home, two men grabbed her and forced her into an abandoned, oh, it was an off-season, excuse me, community pool where they both raped her. So as Sarah's saying this, she's standing, like, inside the pool, which I was like, wow, they, like, really got there fast. Because, <laughs> like, she was, like, in the middle of her story. She said that one of the men was wearing a tracksuit and the other had a distinctive tattoo on the underside of his wrist and he smelled like clove cigarettes. They threatened to kill her if she screamed or said anything. The TV cuts to a police sketch of the tattoo and it looks like an eye with like a star around it it's the weirdest shit i've ever seen it's very uh series of unfortunate events like it looks like count olaf's tattoo that's what it looks like and it's weird i was like this is about to be a cult thing i don't want it the woman in the hotel room gets very tense when she sees the tattoo and she glances at the closed bathroom door and at one point i'm not sure when but he like opens the door and she like sees him come out but then she's like she grabs for the phone even though she knows he's right there which i was kind of like uh okay and she whispers operator he's right there he's literally right she like saw him come out i was like am i crazy or did she watch him come out of the bathroom and then go try to call that one no she 100 percent did so we hear a voice say this is no time for a phone call and then we see him push her down on the bed and she's kind of like yeah she looks scared she's like oh and then the music, well, the music's doing that. Sorry, she is not going, oh, can you imagine? Cut to 
Chloe Falco is now outside of the hotel room in the hallway, and she's speaking with BNS. She says that the names man is Mark Krieger, and he's a car parts sales rep from Cleveland. And I'm like, that's ugh. very specific. <laughs> and she doesn't know him at all. Um, they met at like a, ho- I think her hotel, probably that hotel bar. She was like, it's an expense account flag. I'm like, ew, I'd feel weird charging a bunch of drinks to my like corporate card and then just getting railed after. That'd be weird. It would be. So Olivia asks if she was forced to have sex with him and she doesn't really answer, but she does say that he scares the shit out of her. Um, so it, it sounds like he kind of did force her, but she is not interested in pressing charges. Because after she found out who he was, like obviously she doesn't have sex with him. So she's basically just like, fuck this, gives them the key and gets the hell out of there. So Benson and Stabler kind of look at each other and they're like, let's go. So they enter the hotel, the hotel room and they find this Krieger guy in his tidy whities just vomiting his brains out into the toilet. They're low-key disgusted, um, but Elliot just kind of rolls up right up on him with his gun. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah. They start reading the red right. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so she kind of rolls her, Olivia rolls her eyes. She's like, you have the right to an attorney. And he replies, yeah, the city has to pay for it because I'm flat ass broke. And then this poor actor, I'm saying actor, throws his face back into the toilet and he hit his head. I saw it. He like threw, you, you could see he hit his forehead. Oh my God. Just doinked himself as he's pretending to puke. Done, done. So now we go to the bullpen. Um, I'm just, everyone like says John in this scene like 50 times. Well, it's your case, John. What should it feel like? We could try that later, John. I think she ought to hear that from you, John. I'm like, all right. Get it. It's John's John case. John Munch's case. It's a John Munch episode. Uh, John says, three months I've been looking for these two pukes, and the night we get the call, I'm at a Chauncey lecture. And I'm like, of course. Oh. Stabler reads off Krieger's priors. They're all like small crimes, like check forgery, um, assault, but for bar fights. And apparently Krieger hasn't said a word since he lawyered up. And that's true. We never hear him talk outside of that one line. He truly never speaks again. My God, that's so true. He does not speak. He is probably the smartest criminal we see on this show, except they make a point to say a million times how dumb he is. This is technically, so this is much his case. Um, and he says that he always thought that it was a crime of opportunity. Jeffries agrees because she, she says that the two men probably just grabbed Sarah at the random, like they didn't know it was Sarah Logan from the news. Craig says that they need to get moving on. Oh, yeah, they need to get moving on finding the second guy before Krieger's able to tip him off. And additionally, he wants to avoid the district attorney having to enter a charge against Krieger and then like an unknown assailant. Basically because it would just be, be less credible and make her stories seem kind of like, I guess, a lie, one could say. And Munch asks if anyone has told Sarah yet. That's when Craig goes, thought you should do that, John. I'm like, all right, final John. Done, done. So now we're in Sarah's office and she goes, John, as he walks in. Yeah, she's actually thrilled to see him. And she's like, did you see my piece? And he tells her he did. And he says it's gutsy and eloquent. And she loves this. There's definitely low-key sparks kind of flying between the two of them. Yeah, no, they are um, flirty. So he asks if she's receiving letters of support, and she says the response to her story has been amazing. In fact, she was kind of going through cards when he walked into her office. So she kind of starts to look at him, and she goes, you got them. He's like, one of them. So he tells her a woman who saw her show recognized the man and turned him in, and she wants to know who it is. And he's like, listen, I would give you his baby photos, his home address, his life story if I could, but it would jeopardize the lineup. Some people actually care about a lineup. So she argues a little with him, and then oddly is like, you remind me of my brother. And they exchange a look where they're probably like, but we kind of want to fuck, so not really. She's like, when can you tell me? And he's like, the minute this ugly pageant is over, then she goes, you remind me so much of my brother. And then they like, I fuck each other briefly. And I'm like, it's not a good segue into an I fuck. You remind me so much of my brother. I fuck, I fuck, I fuck, I fuck, I fuck. Like, that's terrifying. <laughs> I'd take stepdad over brother. I know. Yeesh. Yeah, Detective Page didn't like that one. No. And, like, he's not even the only one who says it. Like, later on, someone's like, you guys had, like, a thing, huh? And it's like, uh. Yeah. Sarah asks what happens next, and he says they're going to search Krieger's apartment. She doesn't know it's Krieger. But they're going to search the suspect's apartment. And she's like, oh, well, I mean to me. So he explains she's going to do the lineup and then pretty much not have anything else to do until the trial. And she's like, oh, so this is the business side of innocent until proven guilty. But then she says she wouldn't have it any other way. And he's like, I didn't think you would. 
weird flirt, weird flirt. Yeah, it's very like kind of like mentor flirting situation. I don't like it. I could totally see how it could happen though. Like you've just been through this really traumatic event and then you meet this guy who's really, and we know Munch is mostly respectful. So he's being respectful to you and he's like going to take care of you and he's communicating with you that he's going to find the guy and you probably, and he's funny and she probably, they probably have a similar sense of humor and I'm sure. I feel like probably every victim likes a different approach. So some people probably really respond to Olivia's, Olivia Benson's kind of one-on-one, you're going to get through this. And probably for her, Munch's flip sarcasm works for her better. She's not very emotional about what happened to her. She's very technical, like, let's get this guy. And I can see how that would mesh well with Munch. Mesh with Munch. And she's very, like, you can tell Sarah's, like, they're setting her up to be kind of, like, this very plucky, like, you know, kind of tenacious woman. Like, she's, you could be, like, she's obviously, she's been through this assault, which is horrible, but she's using, like, she's she's putting it into her segments. Like, she's, like, very much taking charge of it, like, taking back her life. This is a little late, but she's played by Jennifer Esposito, who has just been in everything, it seems like. But I think she's been in NCIS, Blue Bloods. She's been in several movies. If you saw her, you'd know her. And I think she is in SVU later as like a cop or she's in one of the Law and Orders or something as a cop, which happens to a lot of people. Even later in this episode. (laughs) So dud dud, we got a Krieger's apartment. Munchies is Ed Krieger's apartment. He's basically just a slob and he collects a bunch of ashtrays. They kind of just walk around his apartment and go, yuck. Monique's like, oh, he's got a check cashing magnet, a magnet for a check cashing place. He kind of like works wherever he can. And then they're like, she goes, he's got like two shirts and two pairs of pants. And Munch is looking at all the ashtrays. Jeffrey goes, every relationship short term, every friendship expendable. And Munch goes, for 12 weeks, we assumed that the two perps knew each other. Maybe it was just someone he met. And I'm like, how did you get all that from ashtrays and a magnet and three shirts? Yeah. He's just broke. Yeah, he's just some, yeah, I guess every collector in town's after him. He's just some, he's just some broke nobody. Yeah, he's, he's like a, a fucking scrub. vagrant. Yeah, he's a, he's a fucking scrub, like literally. And they're like, every relationship is short term and friendship expendable i'm like i think you're just like maybe he smells bad and that's why no one's i don't know like that's what i would i'd be like oh his apartment stinks i can't imagine he has a lot of friends because i feel like people who have social skills know that their apartment shouldn't stink not like huh two shirts bunch of ashtrays must have no friends (laughs) (laughs) it is a huge assumption done done now we're at the bullpen so Cragen is admiring. They took all the ashtrays and Cragen and Detective Porter are going over them. <laughs> and Cragen starts getting nostalgic and he's like, ugh, at a really dark hotel bar, anything is possible after the seventh or eighth drinks. I love when Cragen reflects on his dirtbag days. because His dangerous night stays. So Olivia trying to get back on track is like, okay, well, which hotel is closest to the attack? And Cragen immediately identifies Shad's Cabaret, which is neither owned by someone named Shad or a cabaret and sounds great. Yes, Stabler and Benson were kind of amused by all this. They were like, do you know which one's closest to the place where she was assaulted? And he's, and he's immediately like, like, yeah. That's crazy. He, he had a really bad drinking problem. <laughs> he had a very bad drinking problem. So Munch chimes in to say he's called a bunch of the numbers they found at Krieger's. They're all contractors. None of them really remember him. And one person Jeffrey's talked to said he was friends with Krieger and that they could come on over. Dun dun, we're going to the apartment of PK. PK. So there's a person on um, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills who's named PK and it stands for Paul Kebsley. PK's affairs and whoever's coming out trying to say he owes him money. PK is wearing an open button up shirt and has a poster of Blink 182's Enema of the State behind his shoulder. And he's kind of a, a bro. He's kind of like what a 90s grunge bro. Yeah, he didn't even button his blouse up when the police. He invited the police over and then he didn't even button his blouse. He's like, so uh, what kind of trouble is Mark in? Jeffries goes, he's a suspect in a rape. And he goes, oh. So he tells them Mark is always getting into trouble. He basically ne- never knew what he was going to do until a few seconds before he did it. He's impulsive. And they're second cousins. PK doesn't appear to be the biggest fan of Krieger. They're like, what about his friends? And he's like, 
doesn't really have any friends. Though, so Jeffries notes that on Jan- January 11th, which is the date of the rape, Mark paged PK twice, but PK says he never saw him, and this never comes up again. I wonder what Mark was paging him about, like, to tell him that he raped. It's like, you let her go. You didn't have a body to hide or anything. Yeah. Dun, dun. Now we're at Ch- uh, the Shad's Cabaret. And we meet, I actually like this guy. I love this guy. His biggest movie, I looked him up, he's in like this movie with Patty LePeau where he plays her husband. And I'm like, geez, he's like a starring character. Oh, good for him. And Ryan Merriman of Smart House fame. No. <laughs> I haven't heard that name in a million years. But yeah, Mr. Shad, he's wearing like fucking suspenders. I'm like, you need to be working at a bank in the 60s. I love Shad. He's annoyed. Yeah. Oh, he's pissed. Um, he says that he recognizes Krieger because Krieger ran out on a $36 bar bill. And he pulls up the tab and confirms that the name on the credit card is Mark Krieger and that the date was January 11th. Stabler asks if Krieger was w- there with anybody. And the guy says, how the hell should I know? Stabler goes, he goes on a little tangent about like drink orders relating to genders. And he's like, oh, you know, 10 Boilermakers. Maybe it's a guy with, you know, two guys, 10 Boilermakers and five Long Island iced teeth. Maybe it's a date. And the guy's like, sorry, not an itemized bill. Dun, 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 dun. line up. So ADA Erica Alden is back, and she's with Krieger's attorney, Robert Sorensen. So Munch brings Sarah in and introduces her to ADA Alden, and then she also shakes hands with Krieger's attorney, but, like, only two fingers. Like, they, they just, like, pinch each other's hands and are like, hello. And did you see Munch kind of push him away, like, guarding her? Oh, that's hot. I missed that. It was hot. He was like, don't touch her. And I'm like, ooh, daddy. Mm-hmm. So Cragen tells her that she can see the people coming in. They can't see her. If she wants any of them to do anything, she just has to tell Cragen. So they walk in and Sarah is looking at them carefully. And it's pretty clear that she isn't recognizing anyone off the bat. And she says, I didn't really get a good look at his face. Can you have them roll up their sleeves? I laughed at the scene, not for real. But all the other suspects in the room are like very casually looking kind of off to the side, down, like left, right. Fucking Mark Krieger is mean mugging the friggin' glass the entire time. And she's like, ooh, I didn't get a good look at his face. So like, even if I didn't, I'd be like, it's this I'd be one. Like, it's because this I don't guy. Like- oh yeah. I'm so gra- glad you brought that up because I was like, even if I didn't know, I think I'd pick this guy because everyone else is just kind of being chill, being normal. And he's like, he's literally just like, like angry like he looks like he's about to bite a fucking chicken's head off or something he looks terror like so like angry it wasn't funny because we're in a lineup about a rape what i'm saying is direction wise it's funny that this one guy is just staring at you like calling your name like it was me i'm so mad and she's like it cuts to her being like i don't know Cragen asks them to roll up their sleeves and they all turn their wrists out, revealing that they've all had that tattoo sketched on. So only Krieger's is real, but they all appear to have the same tattoo. And she turns and she's like, is this a trick? Now, I think they could have told her that they did this ahead of time, but whatever. I agree. I feel like it was a little bit common sense, but also they need to, it's like kind of like they're showing us what would happen in this case. Yes. So Cragen's like, we can only ask you if you recognize the men. So she looks at them and finally is perturbed by Krieger. I fucking the mirror. And she picks him. Mark Krieger, number three. I said that too. I was like, finally. She's like, something's up with this one. He's like literally trying to kill me with his eyes. (laughs) Um, I had a quick note about the lawyer, uh, Sorensen, because he's kind of like prominent. It's Josh Pice, P-A-I-S. He's like in everything. Oh, yeah. He he looks like... A brother of Ben Stiller. I like how he plays Sorensen. Sorensen, as we're going to learn, is a total dirtbag. He plays him very well. You want to punch him in the face. Yeah. So outside the lineup room, Munch tells her about Mark. She asks if they interrogated him, and Munch explains that they've tried. It's been really one-sided. Like we said, Krieger hasn't told them anything. He won't talk. So this episode really should be called The Second Guy, because she asks about the second guy. And Munch is like, look, we're looking for him. She asks if there's any way to make Krieger talk, and Munch is like, well, we can chain him to a radiator and beat his feet with a hose. I think that's how they got together. They have this little rapport. John. John. Mm -hmm. So she's like, well, no, is there a legal maneuver? He's like, his lawyer won't even let us fucking talk to him. So no. So she says she wants to know who he was with, and she wants to know why. 
And Munch is like, listen, I deal with freaks like Krieger all the time. Most of the time, they don't even know why. And she's she wants a reason. She's thinking drugs, abuse, absent mother. And Munch is like, listen, those aren't reason. Those are excuses that rapists tell journalists. And I really missed Richard Belzer in this scene. He, he was so good in this episode. and He was. I don't know if Sarah maybe just didn't do a lot of true crime back then. But once you once you get in the depths of true crime, it's very easy to be like, oh, no, men just will do these things. Like, it's not good, but I'm like, oh, no, there's no reason. The best line in a horror movie is probably in The Strangers when she's screaming, why, at the end. And she goes, because you were home. Sometimes that's just it. Because you were there. Yep. Because you were home. Because your door wasn't locked. And it's not your fault. It's just these people don't have reasons. So basically, Munch tells her he's more comfortable not knowing why people commit these awful acts than he would be comfortable giving her a simple answer. And she kind of goes, well, that's the world, isn't it? And he sighs and he's like, OK, I guess I shouldn't have said it like that. But she says, so you're saying you may never find the second guy and I may never know why they did what they did. And he's like, well, that's true. It's a nice exchange. I think that's why she likes him, because he doesn't bullshit her. You haven't misinformed me yet. Don't start now. Okay. And then he goes, okay. They're in love. Dun, dun. They're in love. <laughs> dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun. Now, next scene, did your video cut in at a weird part? I don't think so. I have very, I have two bullets for this one. And yeah, Craig is, Craig is at the point in the investigation where he wants to know why we haven't found more things. Yeah. So he's kind of just like mid, I think, did you mean he was like mid-sentence? I guess it did. The way it cut on Hulu, he's in the middle of saying a sentence. He goes, how her case is going here. He wants his Craig and rundown. I totally get it. He wants them to have apprehended the second guy and they have not done it. Yeah, no, I think he did come in like that. But Elliot says that he has a source in Rikers who says that he might have some information about Krieger and the second guy. Dun, 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 dun. Rikers. The man is credited as the prison source and he's cute. I like him. And he's really nice. So Stabler seems to be close with him. Um, he's telling him that he spoke with I'm going to call him P.S. because his name is Person Source. He spoke with P.S.'s daughter's school and her teachers and the principal are keeping an eye out on her. And P.S. is like, thanks so much, Stabler. And Stabler's like, all right, now you got to tell me some things. World around the cell block is that Krieger is well known in jail for assaulting Sarah um, and that he did not know it was a reporter or that it was Sarah Logan in general when he attacked her. So it wasn't random. And he's very scared. He's going down for this one, which is weird because why did you do it? I'm now I'm her. We're like, like wait, was- why did it happen? Yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, I have this question later. He, what he did was so violent. It is shocking to me this is his first violent offense because his rap sheet leading up to this does not include any sexual violence. So the PS says that the second attacker was already in Rikers, apparently, when Krieger was brought in for the assault. So the block, the word on the block, also says that Krieger threatened the second suspect to keep his mouth shut. Sailor asks how P.S. got this information, and P.S. gets a little bit awkward, and he says that he heard a few guys talking about it in the rec room while they were watching the news. Sailor's like, come on, you gotta give me more than that. And the guy's like, nope, that's what happened. And he says that he would tell him if he could, because he goes, I like that news lady, and Krieger's a waste of space. Everybody hates Mark. And so then, parting note, I pictured Victor Spicer standing on the other side of the glass, like, waving at Elliot, just, like, giving him the fingers, like, hi, Al. Hi, you still gotta hurt me. I hope Victor's out by now. Dun dun. Also in jail. Also in jail. So we're walking through the prison and a woman is walking with Stabler. She is reiterating what he just said to her. She's like, so you want a list of all the detainees and Rikers, basically? And he's like, well, you can remove women and adolescents. And she quoted this huge number to him. So once he says that, she's like, okay, well, that's 12,000. And she's like, so what are you looking for specifically? So he's like, this person would have crossed paths with Mark Krieger. So she's like, all right, well, I can give you a list of 6,000. And he's like, can you sort this by age or race or description? She's like, nope, here you go. And she hands him a floppy disk. Dun, dun. Courthouse. Munch is walking with Alden, who is telling him that Sarah's trial against Krieger will probably be difficult and ugly given the circumstances. Basically, she says that even with the DNA, positive DNA identification, and the positive lineup ID, witness statements placing Krieger in the area at the time of the attack. So it's kind of like last episode where it's like, we have all this very clear evidence, and yet Sorensen, Krieger's lawyer, is going to try to make it seem like Sarah is lying and that there is some type of, like, rendezvous, you know? 
she mentions that the lack of evidence uh, for the second attacker might make the jury believe that she's like making it up since they don't have a DNA for the second guy. And Munch says that Sarah confirmed that the second guy wore a condom. And Alden goes, yeah, well, that's the problem. She says she doesn't think Sarah's ready for trial yet either, um, just because she's still kind of making it sound like she kind of doesn't really get it. And she tells Munch that Benson dealt with a similar case last year and to get her involved so she could help coach Sarah. And I'm like, was this Harper's case? No, because Harper never got to take it to tr- to trial. You're right. And she failed the lineup. Done, done, done. We're back in Sarah's office. And Olivia tells Sarah that the good news is that the defense can no longer bring up her past sexual history. So I'm guessing Alden must have put some motion forward so that that got stricken from the record. Munch tells her that Sorensen is going to try to generate confusion and beat her up on the stand. And Sarah once again has to play the part of the exposition. And she's like, "Okay, well, how? So Olivia tells her that since it's a rape case, literally they are going to ask who put what, when, where, and how. Ew, Ew, writers. So Sarah says she understands, but she's clearly very upset hearing that Sorensen's going to basically play dirty with her. And Olivia's like, you just need to answer with as much detail as you possibly can. Be direct. Say the words penis and vagina. And if she ever feels uncomfortable... She needs to call Munch or Olivia and tell them the story so many times that she, it just. They want her not to, you know, don't use. Um, euphemisms. Me- euphemisms, which I thought was hilarious because these people love euphemisms. I'm like, oh, now we're telling her not to use euphemisms when all, all I've had to listen to. Um, but yeah, they say be very direct. And if you are having trouble saying these things or feel uncomfortable, call us so that you can rehearse it with us. Um, just so she sounds confident so that she doesn't come off as like a liar. Although it seems like everyone loves her. And that just sounds so stupid to me. If I was in a jury and they were like, hey, we're charging this one guy because we found him because there's DNA and the other one used a condom. I think I'd be like, "Okay, well, well, cool. I don't think that would confuse me as a juror. And also, like, I don't know, maybe they can't do this the same way you can't bring up sexual history. But I'd be like, yeah, this guy's a fucking gross slob who, like, collects ashtrays or whatever. So They, they just would need to bring out the ashtrays for me. And I'd be like. Guilty. I like how we were like, it's not that weird. Now we're like, gross. This fucking weirdo. <laughs> Disgusting, weird ashtray collecting. But like, he had like, I'd be like, guys, he had like three shirts and two pairs of pants, okay? She wasn't going on like a sex date with this fucking guy. Yeah. Krieger's just a weird slob. Done, done? Do I? Oh, yeah. Done, done. So now we cut to the pretrial. And it's that fucking judge again. I was so I, disappointed in I everyone. know. I was like, oh, no, that's bad. He's actually not as bad this episode as he's been in every other episode. But this is the episode he gets yelled at. I thought that was weird. And the judge and then much like screamed at him even such. I'm like, why weren't we getting this reaction when he literally did like what I thought was illegal last episode? Yeah, it's the judge from last episode that was like, these seven women might have just had sex with this guy on purpose on the train while he held a box cutter to their throat. Case dismissed. In public. On a crowded train. Every fucking time. I know, yeah. So, so Sorensen has filed four motions. I forget what the other ones were. I forget what all of them are, actually, because it actually doesn't come up again. Um, but the, ju- the dumb judge thinks that this is a lot. He's like, what the fuck? Alden has only filed one motion for the people, and it's to suppress the, suppress the press from court. Sorensen's like, uh, no, the press should be allowed in court. And he suggests that Sarah's trying to preserve a story for herself. And it's like, ew. Yeah right it's like even if that were true fuck you i'm allowed and as they're saying all this krieger cranes his neck around to look at sarah and she kind of glances at him like oh ew and then looks straight ahead it's so weird and then he mean mugs at munch too and munch is just like turn around mean mugging in the in the lineup is one thing but mean mugging in court in front of everybody is quite another i know if i were kevin beck that's the judge's name and now i said it so i would remember it if i were judge beck i'd be like guilty you're yeah. weird why are you why are you doing that why are you doing that i love men and you're making me annoyed that's what he would say because he yeah. loves men he and loves hates them women. so much the swords in he he wants the press in there and the dub judge who is not dub at this one moment basically calls bullshit he's like i think you might just want the press in here so that you get more coverage and your name in the papers and swords it's like oh i didn't realize it was so obvious oh cut to now we're in the hallway Jeffries and Munch are with Sarah, and I think Elizabeth's there too now. And she asks if all these motions and Sorensen, like, trying to 
trying to keep the press involved um, is because Sarah's locally famous. She's like, is it because of me? And they're like, yeah, because you're getting enough attention. And basically, if they get so much attention on this case and Sorensen ends up winning, he'll get more business and he'll be like some famous hotshot lawyer. So that's why he wants it. So Sarah thinks that these factors of the case, like this, this stuff that's going on, like the, the court, the behind the scenes, you know, this would all be interesting and informative for her audience. So she wants Munch to come on. She asks him to come on her show to do a segment on the case and the investigation and kind of the ins and outs of that. And Munch gets all like, I couldn't tell. He was kind of, this is sort of like annoying flirting too. She's like, you've got, it's gotta be you. And he's like, come on, get Jeffries, get Benson. And she's like, no, because it's you. They might see you and they'll want to go report crimes after. And I'm like, why would that ever be the case? He's like, I'm just a cop. Mm. Don't make me sing. Don't make me sing. It's like, okay, you're also a Leo. So we know that you're going to want to do this. A hundred percent. And she's like, well, please, what do I have to do? Bribe you? And she's like, I'm going to take you to dinner after. And he's like, fine. But don't say bribe to a cop in a crowded court house she's like <laughs> john john <laughs> uh, that's so us <laughs> dun 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 oh mm. so we're at the news station sarah's um i guess i should say studio munch is waiting for sarah um for sarah and for the segment that they're gonna do together but she hasn't arrived at the station yet her producer says that they they have a police scanner and on the scanner they picked up a lot of like bullshit in her area basically so they think that she might be stuck in traffic or whatever but munch gets nervous immediately cut to or done done there's a couple of things where i'm doing cut to instead of done done because they're not really like a new well they don't do it like they don't actually do a done done sometimes we done done just for our own benefit yeah and so this is more of a cut too because immediately we go to sarah's neighborhood and there's just ambulance fire department cops everywhere so munch is panicking he's like trying to get through the crowd and the fire department's and i guess it's for because it's him they're like no no they said you can't go up there and he's like, yes, I can't get the fuck out of here. And they're like, no, no, the captain said not you, not you. And they try to stop him. But he gets through. He sees Olivia on the stoop, Sarah's stoop. And he's going, why is the ambulance still here? Why is the ambulance still here? And she's like, John. And he's like, come on, like, what's going on? Why is the ambulance still here? And Liv kind of, they don't really say it out loud, but Liv implies that Sarah is dead. Yes. Um, she's like, there was a loud bang. And sorry, John. And he's like, Ugh. and so I thought she might have been shot at first. I was like, that's logical, right? Right. But. Cut to. So inside the apartment, the apartment's been blown to shit and members of the bomb squad are there. And Munch asks how it happened. It appears to have been a homemade black powder bomb concealed in a box of flowers. Uh, There is a bomb squad guy. I'm going to talk about him later. And his best guess is that it was left outside her door, the flowers, and she found it and carried it inside. He can tell she was standing by the window when the blast occurred. and he's. He clearly knows Munch had some sort of relationship with her. He's like, listen, she probably didn't suffer. And Munch angrily says, oh, she suffered. And the officer's like, yeah, I meant she was killed instantly. And Munch is like, I know what you meant. No, you didn't. And then goes to sulk by her dead body. Okay, of this scene, the Bob squad guy, so he's explaining what happened to Munch. And then he goes, it's just pieces, but I don't think she suffered. And at first when he said it, I thought he meant her body was just pieces. Me too. I was like, and then they showed like her body and I'm like, okay. Under a blanket. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's fucking horrible because like, oh, it's a bob. Yeah. Dead done. Craig asks for his rundown. It's very awkward because everyone knows that, you know, Munch is upset. And so Craig is kind of sitting there and he goes, well, where are we at? (laughs) And so Stabler tells him that he narrowed down the suspect to about 12,000 guys, the suspect list of the second guy to about 12,000 guys who were incarcerated after Sarah was attacked and might have crossed paths with Mark Krieger. The second guy is now presumably out on the street uh, now that Sarah's dead. They think it was him. Yes. I will say it's been narrowed down to 200. Oh, 200. Oh, okay. I thought it was 1,200. Good. Now they think that the second guy might be the mastermind behind the, bom- the bomb and that Krieger might have just been someone who was like kind of along for the ride, which I thought was weird. I was like, Krieger's definitely violent. So I don't think he would have been like along for the ride type of guy. Yes. And they're saying this totally changes how they perceive the rape having gone down. Clearly, this other guy is now the alpha. So Munch says, so we wouldn't be able to link Krieger to the bomb just because they're contemplating whether or not Krieger's the alpha. 
and Jeffries tells him Alden's still going to be able to get Sarah's testimony in via a legal maneuver. And we kind of pick up from how they talk about it. The Jurassic was a case of I, I looked it up, but I did end up reading. You know how it was like a tab open? Um, basically, it's a case of a person, a woman, I believe, who was killed by her lover or boyfriend. And her statement was able to be because they could prove that the lover's actions were the direct cause of her death. They were able to admit her testimony in court post Munch says they need to connect this to Krieger. Because at this point now they don't have the second guy. And now that Sarah's dead, the chances of him being convicted at all are just like done. So he's like, we got to connect it to Krieger. And they're like, but we don't think he did it. But just getting upset. So Craig, it's like, all right, Stabler, you go find the second guy and don't tell Munch. She says this, don't tell Munch anything about it until you know it's him. And then he sends Munch and Jeffries to investigate the bomb. Craig asks Munch if he has a minute and they go into Craig's office. And he asks Munch if he reached Sarah's brother. Munch says yes. The brother just listened and goes, yeah, I'm not coming to the funeral. We never learn anymore, but I'd love to unpack. Because she said that Munch reminded her of her brother. And so I thought it was going to be like this really sad, like my sister who I'm so close to. So does he remind you of your brother because he's mean a little bit? Because that sucks. Yeah. Honestly, the scene, nothing really happens because Craig and... Tells Munch he can have time off if he wants, and Munch says no and leaves. But none of this is important because dun-dun, we're going to go meet Bomb Daddy. So I didn't say this earlier, but the bomb guy from Sarah's blown-up apartment is hot as fuck. He is gorgeous. His name is Daniel Sanjata, and I know him best personally. I'll never forget his face because he is handsome. He was, I forget his character's name, but in The Devil Wears Prada, Stanley Tucci's telling Anne Hathaway about Miranda Priestley's like selection process for her new like you know for fashion and then if she purses her lips it's like hell or whatever and so he's one of the designers that she's meeting with and he brings in this like disgusting dress and she purses her lips and he just like looks at the model and goes please go and he's he's just in everything he's so handsome that he just gets so many jobs I think he was also in Rescue Me he doesn't have a name so he's bomb daddy in this episode he will return in later svu episodes as csu tech bert trevor which is not a good name for him because horrible he doesn't look like a bert trevor he looks like a bomb daddy so bomb daddy he's telling bns at the which is weird because he was like craig it's like go investigate the bomb to munch and jeffries and then here are benson and stabler not listening to directions Mm -hmm. but they're talking to him and he says that the bomb was packed inside of a soup can and it's a fairly amateur process like apparently it was like kind of shittily made or whatever it's like it's like what somebody, like what a Unibobber, like a, you know, would make. Um, but weird thing was it was detonated by remote. So Benson Stabler, like, that's weird because why would you go through all the trouble? You make a shitty bomb kind of, but then you go through all this trouble just to kill somebody? Like, it's a little weird. And so Benson points out the other things, the details, like the flowers, the romance of it. And Stabler suggests that it's possible the Predator is actually watching when the bomb was detonated because else how would he know when to, like, press go? So then they remember that there was a park across the street from Sarah's building. Dun, dun. We'll cut two more. Um, the park across the street from Sarah's building. <laughs> so BNS are there and they're staring and they know that you could see right into Sarah's apartment from that spot. And I'm like, uh, that's bad in general. That sucks. Yeah, I hate fishbowl homes. Homes where as soon as the sun's down and the lights are out, you're on display. And I would never want to live in a place like that. Yeah, I, that's kind of why I hate big windows, because I'm like, ew, I don't want, there's like so much circumference for you to stare at me. It's true. Stabler finds a bunch of throat lozenge packages, and he's like, maybe our boy had a cold. And I was like, like us last episode, Stabler, remember that? You and me both having colds? But he doesn't remember. Dun, dun. Not really. <laughs> so Olivia states that he had to find her home address, find a viewing spot, make the bomb, deliver it, and then while he was standing there, kill her. So he went through great lengths to kill her and she's like this guy is nothing like Krieger who's a lazy piece of shit and Krieger's like well there are two rapists two different MOs number two seems to be somewhat of a planner and maybe Krieger just jumped in last minute all conjecture yeah I remember thinking as I'm watching it I'm like I don't think that the second guy did this I was like or I was like maybe the second guy was like a rich guy or something. I was like I don't know this seems 
seems like not the second guy. I just love that it keeps coming back that Mark Krieger's just a dumb piece of shit. Yeah, they're like, well, he's a dumb piece of shit, so he probably couldn't figure this yeah. out. <laughs> dun dun. Dun dun. Supreme Court. Swordson, um, Krieger's lawyer, wants to throw the case out because Sarah's dead. Basically, he's like, well, um, now we don't have a case. Alden says they plan to enter Sarah's testimony through through Jurassi, which, as I described, is why they're doing it. Um, and the dumb judge asks if she, if she thinks she can prove that Krieger had something to do with the bomb. And then Alden says what I'm thinking. She goes, yeah, but, like, who else would benefit from this? And to be fair, Judge Beck is, like, the second guy. But for once, he actually does seem to be on their side. And he gives them a whole week to find the second guy and figure their shit out. So this one time that he acts appropriately and does the right thing. Oh, I also have to, it, I have to mention, Krieger is watching this with his hand over his face and his pinky in his mouth. It's disgusting. Ew. And Sorensen's like, uh, we want bail to be set because you didn't give us bail. And it seems like you're, you're showing favoritism to the people. And I'm like, oh, wow, where have you been? This guy hates the people. Um, and then because men, fucking dumb judge is like, uh, are you questioning my impartialness? Fine, you get $50,000 of bail. And that is when Munch, Munch, John Stephanie Munch loses it. And he yells, so the judge goes, are you happy now? And John Stephanie Munch goes, no. He goes, we are unhappy. <laughs> and everyone's like, what? And so, and so everyone looks appalled immediately, everybody. And he goes, no victim, no rape. You just declared open season on all the women in New York City. And the judge says to cut it out or he'll fine Munch $500 for contempt. And Munch is like, make it a thousand. And they're kind of doing that thing like what happens at Breakfast Club where he's like, that's another weekend of detention. That's another weekend of detention. That's another. And it's like 50 weeks of detention by the time they stop. It's so bad because as we know, Munch is a Leo. And for once, his fire sign partner takes her fire to beat down his fire. She's like, John, I know we're both very explosive, but we can't do this shit here. Yeah, she's like, uh, not in court. Like, are you kidding me? Like, there's a time and a place. She goes, cut it out, Munch. Like, we don't even need this guy. And she got another call from PK. She's like, we got PK. And I'm like, well, how could he be any more helpful? He kind of was. He but... kind of is. And kind of not at the same time. Right. I'm like, he manages to be both. Dun, dun, dun. So PK is here. And he's like, listen, I heard about the bomb on the news. And this reminds me of a friend of Mark. That's one magical friend. That makes no sense. But anyway, this poor freak is named Tommy. And Jeffries says, well, why didn't you mention him before? And PK's like, Ugh. Tommy used to sell PK marijuana. So Jeffries goes, he sold you drugs? We don't give a rat's ass about that. Cassidy's heart somewhere. Hmm. Somewhere out there in the world just twinges. He's like, oh, yes, we do. <laughs> The pot makes me nervous. Uh, the pot makes me nervous. So apparently Tommy quit selling marijuana because he now runs a gas station in Jersey. And Munch asks, where in Jersey? PK says he doesn't know. Munch asks for a last name. And he's like, ah, something Irish. Jeffries is like, there are two million Irish people in New York City. <clears throat> uh, and PK's like, yep, good luck. He gives them a little thumbs up. And he's like, so do I get a reward now? And Munch and Jeffries are just like, you fucking piece of shit, shit. So Munch throws a dollar bill at him and he's like, yeah, go buy yourself a blunt. I think putting the Irish guy in a tracksuit is such shade. <laughs> they love tracksuits over there. So I guess I'm leaving this scene wondering why the explosion made him think of Tommy. I was thinking because of the gas station thing or maybe because uh, the reason why he's at the gas station is that Tommy said that he was going to become like, a main man. That is a term for mob henchmen. Um, so I guess the Irish mob gave him a fucking. <laughs> oh, I'm so stupid. I <laughs> that totally went right by me. I was like, oh, he worked really hard. So he got a promotion at the gas station he works at. Kind of. He did work really hard and get a promotion because to become a main man is no easy feat. Good they for have to him. trust you. That, yeah, the tracksuit should have tipped me off. Dun, dun. dun. This is quick. Everyone, we're at the bullpen and everyone's looking for the Irish guy. Um, Stabler has now a list of 18 men that were, who were named Tommy, who were in Rikers Island when Krieger was booked. And have an Irish-sounding last name. So Munchies head back to the bar where Krieger was drinking the night of the attack. Remember our friend Shad? And he's back with his suspenders, and he is still pissed Krieger stiffed him. So they have this photo lineup for him of all the Tommies and a photo of Krieger. 
because they're like, maybe if we put his picture next to them, you can picture them with each other, which I was like, okay. He takes a look and he immediately picks a guy out. He's like, that's him. That's the guy. Tommy McCunna. That's really weird, though, because earlier he was like, I don't know if he was with anybody. How should I know that he's like, yep, that's the guy that was with him. And I'm like, OK. I like how they're like, so we're going to take his picture. And we're going to hold it here so you can like picture them together. That's something I would do. I'd be like, see, I thought this would be helpful. And it took me like 20 extra hours to do it. But now we have it. Dun, dun, dun. dun. At Tommy's gas station. Yeah, Tommy's mob gas station bequeathed to him by the Irish mob. It'd be funny if he was like working with the Italian mob or something. And they're like, oh, God, Tommy. Oh, God. So BNS and Munchies are all at the gas station. Um, Munchies, Munch is pretending to be a disgruntled customer as like Benson and Stabler kind of like Come speak up on the side. side. Yeah. Munch keeps saying he's trying to make, he's making it sound like the pump is broken. And he keeps saying, my wife can't give us gas. My wife can't give us gas. And I'm like, what do you mean give us gas? Like, I know <laughs> what you mean, but it's like, what are, is your part of your character being illiterate? Um, when Tommy comes out, BNS grab him. Dun dun. Dun dun. So we are in the mean interrogation room and Stabler is in there with Tommy and he brings up that he sold weed to an undercover cop about a month ago. Uh, the plot makes me nervous. Tommy's like, well, that was a total setup. And Stabler's like, I don't care about that, but they kept you at Rikers for about a week. So that's where Krieger told you not to talk about that night in January. And Tommy pulls back and he starts, starts to look guarded. Stabler continues, so you went partying at Shad's? And Tommy's like, he told you? And Stabler continues, kind of like he didn't hear him. He goes, why do you think he doesn't want, to, want you to talk? And then he smirks, because he's pinning it all on you. Now he's walking, and you're looking at about 10 years. And Tommy's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not how it went down. Stabler's like, well, that's the way it's going down until you tell me your side of the story. And he just starts pacing around. And he's like, now's your chance. Tell me. So Tommy's like, okay, we were a little high. I hope I'm pot. And we're walking around and we come to this pool close for the season. Krieger says he can pick the lock. Tommy dares him to because they're 12. So they go in and it's really quiet. He says it's peaceful, kind of weird in the middle of winter. And Krieger goes, well, this would be the perfect place. And Stabler's like, what the fuck does that mean? And Tommy says, that's what I said. And Krieger says, and I'm sorry, to do a bitch. To get someone without the dining and the whining. Tommy says he thinks he must be joking, but he's not. Tommy says he sees Mark attack her. She was just walking by and Krieger hits her. Stabler asks if he saw him rape her and Tommy's laughing nervously. And he's like, Haha, I try not to watch. Finally, a little bit of like the Stabler we know and love comes in because he kicks the table violently. And he's like, don't play me, Tommy. And Tommy gets upset and he's like, Krieger's a freak. So they kind of stare at each other and Stabler sits down and he's like, you're Irish. You were raised to respect women. I didn't know that was an Irish thing. (laughs) And Tommy says, yeah. And Stabler's like, did your mother teach you that? Tommy says, yeah. Stabler tells him to be a good son and give it up. And Tommy finally goes, "Okay, I saw him do it. And he starts describing the attack. We cut to outside where Munch, Jeffries and Benson are. And Jeffrey goes, sorry, Krieger, your bail has been revoked. So as Tommy continues to confess to Stabler, Munch is like, let's go. Um, Tommy has the weirdest accent I've ever heard in my life. It sounded like Tommy is from the States and thought maybe he would try to do a light Irish accent, but has no yes. clue, has never actually heard an Irish person talk. And sometimes it's like Russian sounding. And so I looked Tommy up because I wanted to see if what you said was true. No, he's from Cork, Ireland or something. Oh, he's really from I. He's from Ireland. So maybe he's Irish trying to do an American accent. So dead on. We go to Krieger's apartment. That was a pretty quick scene. Oh, yeah. So munchies enter into Krieger's apartment and they find that he has literally just escaped out the window and is now running from them. Jeffries chases him to his car and she's yelling, stop, don't get in, Krieger. So he gets in his car and what he does, it blows up. Like a full fireball explosion. Like Bruce Willis, like Die Hard. And Monique is, like, in shock, I guess, because she's just, like, standing there. And, and Munch pulls her away. And she's like, I told him to stop. And it's like, yeah, well. I know. That God, was kind of sad. Because she was like, why didn't he stop? I told him to. Her panic at first, I thought that she might have shot at the car. And then she thought that she made it explode. But then I watched it again. I'm like, oh, no. She's just, like, confused. I think maybe because I mean, she was, was closer. She got maybe more of the blast in her face. 
Yeah, because then cut two. <laughs> I got I don't mean to laugh at her, but um, th- so now we got the Bob Squad there, uh, ambulance, B and S are there too, and they're talking to sexy Bob Squad guy, and he says that it was some type, it was the same type of Bob that was used to kill Sarah. Um, and Stabler suggests that maybe Krieger did it to himself. I think he says, and the Bob Squad guy's like, probably not, because it blew off his penis. It's SVU, so it had to blow off his penis. Yeah, exactly. They were like, it's not a sex crime unless a penis. They, like, had to have that happen. A hundred percent. Really ridiculous how every dead man in this franchise is missing a penis. <laughs> Je- <laughs> Jeffrey's. <laughs> we have just lost so many. About it. We have lost so many penises over the last 21 episodes. We really have. like 20 episodes. I think this is episode 20. It's, it, like, obviously the first episode. And then, um. I think the guy who died in Entitled was also missing his penis. Uh, Judge Varela was missing his yep. penis. There was like another person. Yeah, now this guy's missing his penis. Just yeah. <laughs> no penis left behind, literally. It's truly. So then they show Jeffrey sitting in the ambulance going, I'm not going. I'm not going. I need to watch my partner. And she's a little bit crazed. She's kind of like, ah. I know. And so they go over and they're like, Monique, you, you got to go to the hospital. And she's like, my partner will keep me. She's kind of slurring. I know. She's like, my, my partner is going to keep me under observation. Munch is really sweet. He's like, okay, well, who's going to keep me under observation? You know I need a lot of observation, Monique. And she's like, that's true. And he's like, please just take a couple days off for me. And she agrees to do it. Dud, dud, bullpen. So Stabler gets off the phone because we know he likes to chat it up on the phone. And says they're interviewing everyone at the scene and in the neighborhood. No one has come up with anything unusual. And Munch is like, a bombing is not usual. I like how he says that. Like, Stabler's going to be like, oh, yeah, you're right. I rechecked and everyone said that there was something weird. Cragen asks if they've ruled out political or financial angles. And Stabler's like, oh, so we're thinking John Hinckley Fenway. Uh John Hinckley Jr. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, maybe this guy thinks he has a relationship with a woman on TV. She's smart and funny. She thinks he understands him. Perhaps this person thought she shouldn't be talking about her rape on TV. So Cragen's like, all right, well, where's this escalation? Where are the warning signs? If someone was threatening her, she would have told us. And Munch is like, well, she was on TV. She didn't have to know him for him to know her. And Cragen is like, okay, well, she got hundreds of cards after her story aired. Let's look at them. And then he asks Stabler, what's going on with Tommy? So Tommy rolled on Krieger, but that doesn't matter because Krieger's dead. But since Tommy didn't confess to anything himself, Nothing's going to happen to Tommy. Cragen is just like, you know what? I'm going to take it from here, boys. Enter this unhinged scene. Dun, dun. Yeah. Um, he calls this a father figure character. And I was like, well, this proves you have no children because this is not how you father. Cragen's like, <laughs> it goes, huh, it's been a while since I've done this bit. He's doing a bit. He goes in and does a bit. He, like, goes, he walks in and starts manhandling the fuck out of Tommy. And, like, like literally, like, grabbing him by the face, yelling at him and shit. Um, and it works. Basically, all that happens is Tommy's like, oh, don't do it. And he grabs Tommy by the mouth. It was, like, a sad. I was like, ew. <laughs> ew. Um, so, yeah, Craig basically yells at him and says, like, all right, Tommy, give me the details. And Tommy's like, okay. And he tells him to shut his eyes. He's like, shut your eyes and tell me what happened. So, Tommy is... I don't know. He goes into like a trance, a stupid trance, I wrote. He goes into a stupid trance because he becomes stupid suddenly. And, um, well, he's stupid anyway, but he becomes stupid if you're trying to get away with something. Uh, and he says that Krieger went first. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And that Sarah was crying. And so Krieger went to go hit Sarah because she was crying. And Tommy goes, but I said, you better not. And then Craig goes, so this is where he's being like, actual father. I guess he goes, you wanted to help her. And Tommy goes, yeah, I wanted to help her. He goes, and when it came to my turn, I even put on a rubber. And so then he goes, but she was still crying. And I'm like, I put the rubber on. Why are you crying? Cragen just kind of stares at him like, uh, well, that was easy and awful to hear. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Now we're back at Sarah's office. Yes. So Olivia Munch and Stabler are going through her notes and cards. And they talk about how she received letters from all sorts of people. And Munch starts getting, I think, a little frustrated. He's like, she's got letters from everybody. All these letters, and none of them say how they're in the process of building a bomb in the bathroom or insipid poetry in them. And then I don't know why, but Benson goes, they can test for that. 
And Munch is like, insipid poetry. And she goes, no, gunpowder. And they're all three holding cards. And they just drop them in the pile. Dun, dun. That was the shortest scene ever because we're back with uh, Bomb Daddy. And Bomb Daddy has identified an envelope with powder residue on it. And Olivia smells it. She's always smelling stuff, isn't she? Mm. And she's like, yeah, smells sulfury. The card has a clown on it. So if I had been there, I would have immediately identified it as the one from The Creep. Munch reads the card, but it isn't signed. He's very down this whole time. He's like, it's not even signed. And Bomb Daddy's like, chill, and kind of just dusts it lightly and finds fingerprints on it. Right. And it was a creepy poem. Oh, Munch yeah. Munch was kind of right. He called it. It was like a creepy poem. It was just like, if it isn't you, I don't know what I'll do. I'm like, huh, how'd you know? I know. I'm like, also, how'd you guys miss this? You guys went through the cards before, and you're like, oh, none of them appear to be from a disgusting pervert. It's, it's kind of like how they were like, well, we've got two hours to solve this case. And then they find one name, and they're like, this is it. <laughs> uh, dun, dun, dun. The bullpen. The squad is going through the different lists of people, you know, like sex offender lists, like all these lists, trying to find matching fingerprints, but they're hitting a wall. Craig improves why he's the captain, I wrote. Uh, and he says, have you tried places like the fire department or the police? Because this guy had access to explosives. Or I think he more meant interest in explosives because, like, you wouldn't have access to explosives at the fire department. Yeah. I didn't really know what they meant by that. But Elliot goes negative. But he says that he hopes that the psych evaluations would weed out psychos like that. And then Craig goes, well, let's look at the weeds. And I was like, I'm impressed. Good I'm impressed. Good, good job. Two seconds later, <laughs> cut to. Oh, yeah, they immediately have his file. And, and Craig, and when they walk in, he's looking at, I guess, another case. It's like a victim's neck or something. And I'm like, I know it, it, it's a real thing, but I'm just like, imagine this being your job. Like, that's what you, you're just like, well, in the meantime, I'll observe for this other cold I'll case that we should be looking into. Terrible file. It's like one that Olivia, he's like, all of our cold cases must be getting solved because I don't have any more cold case files. It's because Olivia keeps taking them and handing them out. To, like, <laughs> Throwing them at people like Nick. Gansner. It's mad like you, Eric Birkenhots. <laughs> I wonder what case Brian Cassidy got. He probably got one of like, his would have been like a stalking case. He's like, Olivia, you're married to your job. And since I've left, no one is there to care about the pot. Because that's twice in this episode. They're like, we don't care you for selling pot. He's like, but we do. We care really bad. So the... Bad guy's name is William Lexner. He graduated Queens College in the 80s. He was rejected from the fire department six times <laughs> and most recently in 99. So I was like, oh, my God, that long ago. And I'm like, oh, wait, this is 2000. So he was rejected last year. Yeah. So he's a narcissist who believes that he has unnamed enemies preventing him from joining the fire department. And Olivia's like, oh, my God, he's a narcissist, paranoid a person who's obsessed with fire. This is him. Duh. He definitely did it. These are all the trademarks of a stalker and Unabomber. So they're like, well, fuck, this guy loves bombs. So let's go try to get him without incident. Dun, dun. So we're at Lexner's apartment and the bomb squad and the squad are all evacuating the other residents of the building. They have Stabler's dressed as like a delivery guy. And he's very nervous. He's like rubbing his eyes. And they, he made something about like, oh, should I be wearing like a vest or whatever? And the bomb daddy goes, Nah, bob suits only make for better looking corpses anyway. And I'm like, that's comforting. Oh, God. Um, so everyone hides and Stabler goes and knocks on Lexner's door. Lexner, from behind the door, asks who it is. And Stabler says that he's here to deliver a check to Lexner. Lexner's like, what check? He's suspicious. He won't open the door. So Stabler's like, look, sir, uh, I know I got a check for $412.18 and I just need a signature for it. So Lexner still doesn't come out. Stabler's like, all right, I'm leaving. He gets like, I would say, six feet away from the door. And I'm only saying this because it's important because then when Lexner comes out, he steps out in order to get closer to Stabler. And then Munch pulls out his gun and Lexner tries to go back in the apartment and, and Stabler just like throws his face into the door and then he gets him on the floor. And you just see Munch's arm in frame as Stabler's got this guy behind the neck and, or around the neck and Munch is yelling, get out, shut it, get out. But <laughs> Stabler goes, it's okay, Munch, it's okay. And I'm just like, <laughs> I like how they're all so intolerant of other people yelling. They're like, stop yelling. I know. <laughs> and meanwhile, they have so many goddamn fire signs on the squad that everyone's constantly yelling. Yeah, it's like, stop policing everyone's. I do that, though. I'm a yeller. And then I'm like, why is she yelling? <laughs> I'm the only one who does that. Dun, dun, dun. Station. Station. So Cragen tells Munch the bomb squad has swept his apartment. They found powder residue on some of his clothes. And John goes, but... But I don't think we can make a case on forensics alone. 
And Munch turns to look at him and Cregan's like, should we just call this episode John? Because he goes, we need a confession, John. John. Meanwhile, we cut to Lexner, who is creepily fixing his hair in the two-way mirror and kind of just gaping at himself. Yeah, he's pumped. So Munch goes in and he says, Will. And Lexner goes, I don't see anyone else here because he's apparently a jokester. I hope this guy is wearing a piece and that's not his real hair. I think it is his real hair, actually. Uh, it looks like a rug. It looks him up. terrible. Um, William Lexner, he plays, I, I didn't write down his actor's name, but, um, oh, Peter Gregory in Silicon Valley, and he's also another rapist. Oh, in episode. that makes sense. He's normally a comedic actor, isn't he? I think so. He's, he's another one where his IMDb is extensive. It's just that I couldn't place him. I don't watch Silicon Valley. It's a good show. And he kind of talks like Moira Rose a little bit. When Munch introduces himself, Lexer gets excited. He says that Munch was the detective on Sarah's case. Um, and he goes, you want to get to know me? Munch says, yes. And Lexer's like, why? And Munch says it's because he's interesting. And so then he calls him the Nietzschean Superman. And Lexer kind of like smiles and he goes, rape is the worst crime there is. Do you want to know why? Personally, I'm like, go on. I don't necessarily disagree with you. I know. I was like, oh, I like that. But then he goes... If there are two beautiful twin sisters, each the same, but one has been raped, which one would a man ask out? And Munch goes, does it fucking matter? Lexer says, yes. Once you know, you know. Uh, He says that she was different after the rape, that she didn't smile the same way or as much anymore. He asks if Munch thought that she changed, and Munch says that she did change, but in a good way, and she was using the experience to help people, the experience, the unfortunate experience to help people. Lexer says that she was the perfect woman and asks Munch what Sarah was like. He says that Munch and Sarah seemed to click, like you two could have really been something together. So Munch goes, what about you? And Lexer gets pretty bashful. And I will say it's kind of interesting. He doesn't, he admits here that he would have liked to have dated Sarah, but he doesn't like, it's sort of like he's kind of, it's like if someone goes, oh, would you hook up with Brad? And you're like, oh, (laughs) I mean, I would. Should I? Like, I don't know. Like he kind of gets like that. It's very interesting. Yeah. So he says he wanted her to be happy again, like before. So he picked out the flowers himself in Chinatown. They were white roses. She would have wanted that. And he left it out in the front of her building. He wanted to see her smile. So he says the moment they open the florist box is magic. And I am momentarily concerned because perhaps he has done this to someone else. I feel that he sends flowers to a couple of news ladies in New York. Yes, and watches for their smile. Yeah. So Munch asks where he was when he set it off, and he confirms he was at the park. He watched the 5 o'clock news on a portable television, and he watched her come home, turn on the lights like she always does, and then take the box up to her apartment, and then he waited for her smile. And Munch asks, did she? For a moment, yes. The first time all night. She didn't seem happy when she signed off. I'm Sarah Logan. Good night. Do you know what I would always say back to her? And Munch looks at him and goes, good night, Sarah. And he just nods with this very creepy little grin. It's sort of like he looks at Munch like, yes, yes. like, you know, you understand. No, he didn't say that, but he, then he nods. Executive producer Dick Wolf. <sighs> it's very interesting. Um, well, first I'll ask, do you think he meant, do you think his motive was if she had smiled at the flowers and seemed happy for like a more prolonged period, he wouldn't have detonated it. Or he, he was, in his mind, he was like putting her out of her misery, it sounds like. I think he always meant to kill her. And I think he would have done that no matter what her reaction was to it. It's interesting because the whole episode is about, obviously Sarah was attacked by people, two men who felt entitled to her body. And even like Tommy's response after, you know, like at first they're going to do it, but then when he admitted to doing it, he was like, blaming her for crying about it tommy almost felt worse that was weird like that was upsetting like he thought he was better because he because he used a condom she's murdered ultimately by this guy who he killed her it sounds like well we'll never know the motives obviously but it's like he killed her it sounds like almost because she wasn't making him happy anymore so she was at that point like expendable to him and they didn't even cover the fact that he killed mark krieger which good that was funny. That yeah. was funny. I mean, but, well, not funny. Sorry, not being like, that was funny. But it's like, it's funny that they really did. They were like, ah, shit. Well, oh, well. Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel about Mark Krieger. 
I don't have really anything else. This is kind of a straightforward episode. Yeah. Um, to me, it wasn't very confusing. They had a couple of little weird things, but I liked it. I also liked the the way it was shot. I thought it was really pretty. I guess like a Law & Order OG, kind of like the way. I do feel like we have finally gotten into the groove of the episodes. It's like I said, it's been, a, I think I said this last week, but it's been a while since we've had an episode where everything just felt really new. Next week, we'll be talking about season one, episode 21, our penultimate season one episode, Nocturne, that I like saying. It makes me sound smart. Oh, I love that word. So creepy. There's Nocturne. a movie with Sydney Sweetie. I think it's on Prime still called Nocturne. Uh, it looks like we got a return to child molesters, so. Ugh, great. Ugh. Uh, Jean de Sagenzac is back. Was is he the director from episode one? Because I seem to remember episode one being like, how do I say this? No, it is him. So he's episode one guy. <gasps> he's back. He's back. All right, guys. Paige and I need to go blow our noses, inhale some steam, and relax. Because Paige is at the beginning, and I'm at the end of a cold. We got it from Elliot Stabler. What can I say? We did. It's literally a week since that happened. So mm. I agree. I think we got it from Elliot Stabler and we don't have a Cedar Lawnstein to like cure us with her hand. Nope. Just got NyQuil and drugs. Well, guys, thanks so much for tuning in again. Yes. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye, squad. <laughs>